One, two, three, four. Welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms honestly hope that it never falls to any of their children to have to solve the mystery of where they've disappeared to. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two sons, Jay, he's three, and Kenny, he's five months. And I have three kids, a nine-year-old boy named Tony and boy-girl twins who are six named Libby and Nate. They're so cute, right? They are usually so cute. (laughs) Yeah, we like to tell a quick story about how awesome our kids are, or awful, depending on the week, because in addition to being pop culture consumers, we're moms, too. Did your kids do anything cute this week, Katie? So kind of similar to the last uh, anecdote I shared about Jay, you know, becoming an actual human who wants to have conversations... Mm-hmm. <laughs> this morning as we were getting in the car to school he was talking about how he used to live in Paris when he was really young before there were any dogs there and before there were any people there that's what he said and I was like oh wow so you were there all alone that must have been pretty lonely <laughs> and he becomes very adamant and he says no mom I was fine on my own I can handle myself Wow. And I just laughed and said, okay, well, I'm glad you're not alone anymore because I like to spend time with you. But he was just so firm in that assertion, which is super funny coming from the kid who like cannot entertain himself for more than 30 seconds. (laughs) Right. What happens when you get hungry, Jay? Are you going to get those chicken nuggets out of the oven? (laughs) Oh, silly guy. How about you? Uh, My kids are having some kind of a health unit in school and I they said that February is like health month mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just their school or officially I've never heard of that before and they have some weird resolutions like Libby says she's gonna give up sugar she's not gonna have one bite of sugar in the month of February and I'm like what are you gonna eat then <laughs> yeah you can't fast <laughs> Um, Because her diet is terrible. And then Nate said that he's not going to have one bite of salami for the whole month of February. (laughs) Wow. Which is fine. But it seems like an odd thing to give up. I don't know what. I wish that I could have heard, like, what their Fayed slash health teacher, the presentation that he gave. Because he also talked to them about limiting screen time. Mm -hmm. And they have no resolutions about that. Maybe they know that their mom is already doing a great job there. But it also seems kind of weird for a Catholic school to be like encouraging kids to give up something big before it's not Lent. Like it's a whole month before Lent. Right. Oh, maybe they maybe it's leading up to Lent. Who knows? Because you know that after giving up sugar for a month, she's not going to be like super excited to give up something else the following month. Right, right. Maybe salami. (laughs) (laughs) They'll just swap. Swapsies. (laughs) Wow, that's really interesting. I look forward to hearing how it goes. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe Libby will develop a heretofore unknown obsession with kale. Who knows? It would be nice if she would at least eat a baby carrot. I would support that. (laughs) 
Isn't it so sad when they eschew even like the sweet vegetables? It's like, what do you want, kid? Like, I'm trying my best. I'm only giving you the vegetables that taste like candy. Just please oblige me. All right. Well, screen time in the news. We are discussing this week an article about Mattel, the toy company, which is suffering. Their stock price was down 27% last year according to the article that we read. And so they're going to attempt to recover from their financial problems by getting into movies. And so they're going to make a Barbie live action film starring Margot Robbie, who is a great actress. I love her. Really? And she's really pretty. I mean, she looks like a real life Barbie for sure. She is beautiful. I'm curious as to what, she's done that you love so much I I mean I don't really feel about her one way or the other but I I would not say that I count her among my favorites um mostly I saw like a I think it was a clip online of an interview she did with Ellen and she talked about how she and her husband were on their honeymoon and they were like working out in the gym of their hotel or resort and then the Obamas were there oh I'm pretty (laughs) sure so she talked about like meeting former president Barack Obama in like her sweaty gym shorts. (laughs) It was a really funny, like self-deprecating story. Oh, okay. That's fine. So you like her because she's a human. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I I can get behind that. Um, so my question for you is like Barbie now? Really? Live action Barbie. Yeah. But even like Barbie period. I mean, you have a girl. And I guess, but but is Barbie even really still a thing? I mean, there are Barbies in toy stores Mm -hmm. or in the toy aisle at Target. Libby is not super into Barbies, so I am not knowledgeable about that universe of kids' toys. The article said that they're, like, basically trying to copy Hasbro, Mm -hmm. and Hasbro has had, like, a lot of financial success with their Transformers film franchise. Mm -hmm. I don't know. To me... This article sound it sounded like maybe a executive at Mattel to like went to B school and really wished they had gone to film school <laughs> and is seeing this like as their opportunity to get into the Hollywood crowd. I don't know. It seems like they're not gonna turn their company around with a Barbie movie, I don't think. No, and especially reading. First of all, I did not realize that Mattel owned Fisher Price because, like, obviously we have a bazillion Fisher Price products in our house right now. I did not put two and two together, but like Barbie is not the property they should be betting on for movies. It is obviously the American Girl brand. I mean, we have already watched and loved one of their um historical American girl specials and it seems to Mm -hmm. me like they could easily expand that into like a full-length movie right and I think the trend in American girl dolls is now to have like a doll that looks like you exactly and it wouldn't have to be historical it could be modern yeah and that is such a better message than Barbie because like Mm -hmm. Barbie when we were kids was like vilified for her unattainable body proportions and I think the current Barbies are a little bit different, but there's still like really big boobs, tiny waist, mm-hmm. crazy long legs. Like nobody looks like that. 
And they've tried to push the focus from like Barbie's looks to like, look how many different jobs Barbie can have. But still, it feels like a step backward for them to be focusing on this element of their brand. And I just think as kids screen time experts, I think American Girl makes more sense, guys. Yeah, Mattel. Yeah. (laughs) If you need consultants. (laughs) We're on it. We're on Twitter at at my screen time, too. (laughs) Should we move on to today's topic? Yes. All right. So for this week's episode, we watched the Nickelodeon show Hunter Street. And uh, we, well, this airs on Nickelodeon and is available. Two seasons are available on Hulu. It premiered in 2017. I'm not 100% clear on whether Nickelodeon is airing a third season because I did look on the Nickelodeon website and it wasn't listed among their shows. So I don't know. Maybe they're calling it quits after two. But it is, interestingly enough, a show from the Netherlands. So it's all in English, but uh, it takes place in Amsterdam. Let's see if I can summarize it really quickly. So our hero is a foster kid named Max. And he joins a foster family called the Hunters, and they have adopted, or well, they have four other foster kids, um, ranging in age from the youngest to the oldest. It's Annika, Sal, Tess, and Daniel. And they, you know, form this happy family. And the pilot episode kicks off with the parents of the Hunter family going missing. So I don't know how long this continues, but the plot of at least the first few episodes is them trying to solve the mystery of what happened to their parents. I am really excited to talk about this because I love mysteries. The Mm -hmm. show is not actually what I originally thought it was going to be, which I thought it was going to be more of a mystery of the week as opposed to a long form serialized mystery. But That doesn't mean it's bad. I'm still super jazzed about it. It was nice to do a teen show as a change of pace from the last preschool show we did, um, Peg Plus Cat. And we also kind of like the foster family angle because that's not really a portrayal that we see on TV all that much. I know there's the Fosters, which is like the popular show about foster kids, if that's even still going on. I think it's Disney, right? idea okay but that was more it's more geared towards teens it kind of felt more like a teen soap show um Mm -hmm. so this is a little different we watched the first three episodes just because the show is so heavily serialized so episode one was the new hunter episode two saganash and episode three was the secret room so we'll start by going through the episodes one by one and then we'll move on to our more general thoughts Deborah, would you care to summarize the pilot for us? Yes. Um, well, your summary of the show is similar to the summary of this pilot. Like, we meet all of the characters. So Max is the newest addition to the Hunter family, and he apparently has had some problems in the past with foster families. So his social worker, as he's biking him, because it's Amsterdam, <laughs> to his new foster family's house, he's encouraging Max to get along, not cause any problems. And he seems to fit right in. Um, So Annika is the little sister and she's like real enthusiastic. They all have kind of a one note personality. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Sal is the smart 
little brother. So he's actually in Max's class when they go to school. Daniel is the meathead because <laughs> he's always exercising and he's portrayed as really, 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 really dumb. <laughs> and Tess is like standoffish. So Max fits right in. On the first evening that he's there, he is like sitting on the stairwell, overhears a kind of a mysterious conversation between Kate and Eric Hunter, the foster parents, and adoptive parents in some case, because they've adopted the other kids. Oh, okay. Okay. I think. And they go out to the opera, and then they never come back. So the next morning, all the kids realize that Eric and Kate are missing, thus beginning the search. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of the pilot? I thought it had like the feel and look to all big kid shows. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's the age of the actors and like the expertise of the actors or if it's the way they're directed, but the acting is not subtle. It feels really over-directed to me mm. and really not great acting. Oh my god. Unfunny gosh. jokes. Oh man. Wooden dialogue. <laughs> cliche after cliche. <laughs> I don't know. What did you think? Deborah, I am just thinking back to the last teen show I can remember us talking about, which was Night Squad. And I seem to remember you having a really positive reaction to that one, which kind of shocks me because I thought that this one approached realism. I mean, setting aside, because obviously Night Squad takes place in a fictional medieval kingdom, whatever. Mm -hmm. But this one approached realism a lot more as far as the emotional reaction of the actors. I thought I responded much more positively to it um, as far as not being quite as middle school theater campy. But you didn't didn't feel that way, it sounds like. No, and I think a lot of it was like, so Daniel, he's taking a gap year. Mm-hmm. As we learn a little later on, he's constantly working out. He's just, I didn't like that character because I just felt like he was being, he was just too much of a stereotype. That's true. That's true. But And uh... there were just some really dumb scenes like the youngest girl, Annika, and the oldest girl, Tess, like they were sitting on their parents bed and like feeling sad that they were gone and then the older girl just like takes a pillow and like hits the younger girl with it yeah and they start a pillow fight and like that's just another cliche of like kids television programming and it was like not the moment for a pillow fight yeah it was so weird and like they uncover a clue to the parents disappearance but it just was none of really none of it worked for me Oh, that's so sad. I I guess I just chalk that up to like, they're trying hard to balance the emotional tone. It is a show for kids, so they can't have it be too unmitigatedly dark. Like they need to have mm-hmm. these light moments. And I mean, come on, is it really any worse than like a Night Squad or a School of Rock as far as how they shoehorn some of these like, jokier moments in? And there was no laugh track. Mm hmm. Like there is on um, School of Rock. That's true. You missed it? We'll have to. No, the School of Rock, like I I think I didn't like that one. I don't remember. I 
I think I came down <laughs> as I think I came down on the side of meh for that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were some things that I think kids would think were funny, like Daniel attempts to make dinner and he just like he makes like spaghetti and there is like sauce all over the walls of the kitchen and there's like spinach leaves stuck to his face and it's just so over the top I was rolling my eyes but maybe I mean it is a show for kids so maybe kids would think it was funny I think we need to cycle back to the uh, Daniel's attempt at keeping house a little bit later but let me quickly summarize mm-hmm. episode two because we're okay. we'll just zip through the plot and then we can get back to our overall thoughts okay so episode two is Saganash, and I will admit that like all three of these episodes kind of ended with a cliffhanger and they followed so closely on one another that I, I kind of forgot what the cliffhanger was at the end of this episode but during that scene when Annika and Tess were having the pillow fight, they found a clue hidden behind a picture that had the word Saganash on it, and they assume that that's a clue to their parents' disappearance. So in the second episode, girls <laughs> stay home fake sick from school uh, so they can continue to look for clues, and um, Sal and Max go to school. And they find out some stuff about Saganash. It's the last name of a family that used to work for the Hunters. Um, but they don't get very far. I believe at the end of this episode is when Max is leaning on a wall and uh, he finds the secret room, right? Does that happen at the end mm-hmm. of this episode? Okay. Mm-hmm. Really, I thought the key thing that happened in this episode is they all sat down and they decided, look, we can't go to the authorities. They will split us up. So we have to figure this out on our own. Like they're aware of the precarious nature of their situation as foster children. The weirdest thing I thought was that it's literally the day after Max arrives and he sits down at the breakfast table and he's like, they can't split us up. We're a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for a kid who's had trouble in several other foster homes, he sure took to this one pretty quick. Um, right. But that was pretty much it for the plot of Saganash. Uh, did you have any other different thoughts on this episode? I did like the part where um, Max and Sal sneak out of their classroom mm-hmm. and they sneak into the school library to do some quote unquote research mm-hmm. to try to find Kate and Eric, the parents. Um, and Sal is like sort of a computer genius <laughs> and he starts he goes into like a mainframe and he says that commercial search engines are for amateurs and I really enjoyed that <laughs> but then his his mainframe web crawler like only turned up the same results for Saganash that Google, Google did it. yeah <laughs> which was kind of funny too um I also enjoyed uh just for the cliche and terribleness of it, like Daniel's trying to do dishes and he, uh, Mr. Mom's the dishwasher. <laughs> so there's like suds everywhere. And I also liked in the secret room, which is like a library. It's so dusty and cobwebby. It's really over the top. And like they do the um, blowing the dust off the book <laughs> jacket, like a couple times, like I think once in this episode, another time in the episode three. And I just love that trope yeah (laughs) um it was funny when they were checking out the school's computers like Sal's utter shock that there would be information that existed that was not on the internet um my little librarian heart thrilled 
when they were like, mm-hmm. well, where could we possibly go to find information that's not on the internet? They looked at one another and were like, the library. And in the back of my head, I was kind of like, okay, guys, the archives, okay? But I was fine <laughs> with the library. Then they went to the library and they're like, well, how do we tackle all these books? They're in alphabetical order. I'll start at the front and you start at the back. I was like, guys, they're in alphabetical order. Check to see if there's an index. Right. So their information literacy is not tops. The other thing I really loved about this article, or this article, this episode, I know you hate the whole Daniel is a meathead thing, (laughs) but um, the, the trope is that he exercises to clear his head, and he often has to clear his head because he is not very bright. So someone asks him a question that he should know the answer to as the oldest, and he's like, oh, I got to clear my head. And he gets up and starts doing jumping jacks, but he's doing jumping jacks like a person who had only ever read about jumping jacks would do jumping jacks. (laughs) He's like raising his arms above his head and then like kind of awkwardly squat jumping. It was very strange. It was like that old goofy cartoon where he's learning how to ballroom dance and he just like cuts out the feet and scatters them on the floor and like ties himself in knots trying to follow the feet it was very upsetting daniel jumping jacks not that difficult yeah youtube it (laughs) do you want to go straight to the plot of the secret room sure so in the secret room the kids continue to look for eric and kate um daniel takes a phone call from Max's social worker who just the social worker insists on coming over and meeting with Eric and Daniel knowing that Eric is not going to be there still agrees to the meeting and he tries to uh, clean up the kitchen he enlists Annika's help in cleaning up the living room the other kids don't help clean up Um, they continue to try and solve the mystery of the parents disappearance so Sal and Max have some complicated ways of trying to break into the safe and then Tess just puts in Kate's birth year and cracks it open and inside they find a telegraph machine and then there's also like a armored knight in the corner of the library and Max and Annika are like tugging on the sword trying to get it loose and they open up uh, an opening to a uh, previously unknown crawl space, which I think that is the secret room referred to in the episode's title. Oh, okay. Because they've already uncovered the library. So it's like a secret and then, room. Yeah. And then the social worker does come over. The kids try to stall. And then he essentially says that he can see that everybody's getting along and is healthy and well-adjusted. And so he doesn't need to see Eric and he's going to write them off as fine for now. Phew. Big relief. <laughs> um, and then this episode also contained like they're run, they, like the parents have been gone for one day and they're running out of food and the kids don't know what to do. So Max goes to the grocery store and like in true, like, orphan or home alone my parents have disappeared for him like he only gets junk food but it should be said that max is i mean minimum 14 right like he's not seven he should kind of know at least that he needs like bread for peanut butter and jelly or something 
Yeah, he buys like suckers and chips. <laughs> so little faith in teenage boys. <laughs> but speaking of faith in teenage boys, I really, okay, the Netherlands is often held up as like an example of perhaps a more equitable gender relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So Daniel is the oldest child in the family. He's 17. Tess is right below him, not far below him. She's at least 15, probably mm-hmm. more like 16. But it does not occur to her at any point that she should be the one cooking dinner, doing dishes. She just happily lets Daniel tackle all these things and screw them up spectacularly. And she is just unruffled by that. And I loved that. I loved that they didn't put any pressure on Tess to like step in and be the little mother of the family. I I just applaud that. Yeah, that's a good point. I like, yeah, I didn't pick up on that. That's really good. <laughs> but also he's taking a gap year, so he's done with high school and he doesn't even know how to make spaghetti. Yeah. I don't think these parent foster parents have done a super great job. I mean, even Libby and Nathan can make like a cheese quesadilla in the microwave. I know. And like the foster parents, like they're very wealthy and like erudite, like they're worldly people. They're going to the opera for crying out loud. Like you'd think they would raise their kids to be a little brighter. Mm -hmm. A little more (laughs) self-sufficient. Yes. Do you have any feelings? I know I addressed this a little bit at the top about the fact that I love mysteries. How do you feel about mysteries? I enjoy mysteries. I don't like um, really scary shows. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't like super violent shows. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is good. Like it's very intriguing, but it's not like supernaturally scary. Right. Important question. If you leaned against a bookshelf in your house and the wall opened into an extremely cobwebby secret room, would you explore it? For sure. Yeah. (laughs) You wouldn't be scared? (laughs) No. (laughs) How about you? I would, but I would need like three other people to go in with me. There's no way I would go in by myself. Did you read or watch a lot of mysteries growing up? I remember uh, really liking Harriet the Spy. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember that one and then I loved um Christopher Pike Ooh, spooky mysteries. Hmm. yeah I loved those when I was a little older yeah see I never did the scary mysteries but I loved like they had an offshoot of the babysitters club that was just mysteries mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed and I also when I was younger really liked the boxcar children mysteries I think I was a little too old for the, like, I read the Boxcar Children, but Mm -hmm. I think the mysteries came out when I was a little too old for them. Oh, okay. But yeah, loved the Boxcar Children. Another set of parentless children. Although, talk about falling into stereotypical gender roles. Whew, boy. Violet, you can do better. (laughs) (laughs) But I take it that the, hmm, I almost called it the Hunters. I take it that Hunter Street did not live up to your standards for a good mystery I'm intrigued like I think the character acting is terrible but I still want to find out what happened to the parents (laughs) okay so (laughs) plot plot wise it's solid it's just the acting you object to okay okay how about you (laughs) 
Well, I think I've demonstrated that I'm pretty in the bag for this. I, again, I didn't think the acting was any worse than most most teen programming for kids we've seen. In fact, I would say that it's a little bit better. So I was definitely not as bothered by that as you were. And I'm totally in the bag for the plot. I really, I want to know what's happened to Kate and Eric. And I even liked their like little B-plot side attempts to keep it light. Like I was entertained by Annika having to lead a tour of the museum that is in their home and just the little things Mm -hmm. like that I thought were, were pretty cute too. Did you have any thoughts on any of the technical aspects of the show? Music, set design, editing, anything like that? Um, I enjoyed the street scenes of Amsterdam Mm -hmm. and like when the scenes change, they usually show a little street scene in Amsterdam with some like kind of hip hoppy music a little bit. I Mm -hmm. thought that was good. I thought this, that was good. It did seem, I mean, I've traveled to Amsterdam and they got the like architecture of like, the way the homes are like they're tall, narrow, um, like old Rembrandts mm-hmm. <laughs> in dusty corners. I thought that was good. Um, and then there were some like spookier scenes and the music was appropriately foreboding. Mm-hmm. So I thought that, I thought that was all well done. How about you? Yeah. I thought it was really interesting to go outside kind of our comfort zone as far as shows set in the U.S. with American kids. It was nice to get a different perspective. Um, I liked what they were trying to do there, kind of, you know, set a slightly different tone, which I really appreciated. And I liked the little touches that just passed by without comment, like the fact that they bicycled places. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Let's talk for a minute about the accents. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Speaking of the fact that it's set in Amsterdam, so the kids all have American accents. Mm -hmm. The social worker has kind of a British accent, a touch uh, like Netherlands accent. So maybe he, maybe English is not 100% his first language. Mm -hmm. Same with Kate, the mom. Um, Eric Hunter has a British accent and he explains this in the first episode that his parents, the hunters adopted him from the UK and that explains his accent. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was weird, but funny because like if he was adopted as a baby, like he wouldn't retain his United Kingdom British accent. And why do the kids all speak American English? Like, at one point, Annika, when they're meeting Max, he's, like, giving them all nicknames, and he's kind of being a jerk, and she's like, can I call you dude bro? Which was totally funny. I enjoyed that. But it wasn't cons- – the accent work was not consistent at all. I And I did look up these actors' IMDb profiles, which they didn't mm-hmm. – none of them had extensive profiles. But I think they're all from the Netherlands. So I Well, know- okay, so – is it generational maybe? I don't know because I've never been there. So I'm not familiar with like how the accent would actually be when speaking English. You said it'd be closer to the, the social worker's accent. I think so. But I mean, I was there a long time and I didn't talk to a lot of people mm-hmm. who 
we're native to uh, the Netherlands, so so maybe I just generational. Mat- yeah, I imagine that the social worker was the most authentic, but I have lit very little to base that on. Initially, just another little complaint of mine. Oh man, you really have it in for this show. Interesting choices, but I don't know if they were in fact choices. Like I think maybe that is the accent these kids all have. So, did you compare it to any adult movies or shows? So the first show that came to mind, kind of like, well, yeah, a similar sort of like freewheeling tone while dealing with serious subjects is the show mm-hmm. Shameless. Have you seen that okay. one? Okay, I have not. Okay, so the American version is on Showtime, and there is also a long-running British version, and I guess I would compare it equally to either of these, and it's also about like a very large family of kids that have to essentially function as adults and you know in shameless like they're partying and cursing and like doing lots of illegal things to get by Mm -hmm. uh, which of course the hunter kids aren't doing but it has it has a similar sort of like yeah their their situation is dire but it also cuts away to like absurd moments and yeah I can picture that like the print ads for it who's the (laughs) who's the dad uh in the American version it's William H. Macy Yes. Okay. So he is the uh, the headliner. And then his oldest daughter is played by Emmy Rossum, who, to tie things back, was uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's love interest in The Day After Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that was the first adult show that came to mind. How about you? Um, I thought immediately of How to Get Away with Murder. Mm-hmm. Because Max kind of looks like the the Harry Potter guy. Yes, yes, I can't think of the name. Um, and he's like an outsider. He gets kind of roped into this mystery like right away. And it's a bunch of people from different backgrounds, mm-hmm. um, all working for the same cause, and they've got a lot of like interpersonal conflict mm-hmm. kind of like these kids do so it reminded me of that um it also <laughs> this is a stretch but one of my favorite books is the goldfinch by donna tart <gasps> no! <laughs> oh my gosh i can't even begin to tell you how much i hate that book but okay go on <laughs> so the goldfinch is about an an orphan basically and part of the novel takes place in amsterdam and it surrounds a like an art theft mystery and I have a feeling that art theft is going to be a part of why Kate and Max no why Kate and Eric disappeared so a little bit like the goldfinch just based on those details and don't you think it's going to be like an art heist yeah because the hunter house does double as a museum and they seem to have a lot of priceless works of art and they've got all of those cobwebby Rembrandts in the secret library room. <laughs> yeah. If I had a Rembrandt, I would not be keeping it in the cobwebby secret room. No. I'd be keeping it in a storage facility <laughs> in New controlled. Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> like in the Goldfinch. I cannot believe that's one of your favorite books. I just I cannot believe you hated it. (laughs) I hated it so hard. To be fair, like I went into it prepared to hate it because I also hated The Secret History, which was Donna Tartt's previous really big hit. 
Um, you went to middle. Yeah, because I thought it was going to be some sort of larger commentary on like small liberal arts colleges, and then it just wasn't. Oh, well, sorry about that side note about our wildly diverging literary tastes. We also have wildly diverging television tastes, which is what makes this podcast so intriguing. (laughs) So did you cast the gritty HBO reboot? Yeah, just going on how to get away with murder. So I would like to see Viola Davis and Brian Cranston, because I think that Eric Hunter, the dad, really resembles Brian Cranston a lot. That's how I came up with that. Okay. I would like to see those two as foster parents, mm-hmm. but they have like a double life, kind of like the Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt vehicle, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Ooh. Yeah. Only the parents are like working together, but like as soon as their um, kids go to bed and it's bedtime like they don't just Netflix and chill they're out solving crime oh so kind of like the Americans but not working for Russia maybe they're involved in organized crime that might make it more interesting Mm, I like it I was sort of like you were stuck on how to get away with murder I was stuck on shameless and I thought we could just take the cast from shameless which is kind of jump the shark like I gave up on it, and I'm a super completist, so that must tell you how impossible it has become. Uh, So we could just take that cast, and we could put a little twist on their situation and just have them solving mysteries all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, you know, the south side of Chicago, like, all of a sudden there's a weekly mystery to solve with all the same, like, hapless self-destructive personalities Mm -hmm. um so it goes without saying that they're not super good at solving these mysteries uh, but (laughs) I think that would be that would be pretty intriguing and a good way to rescue the show (laughs) so you would say the first seasons of that show are good oh yeah definitely I would have counted it as one of my favorites for a while there but it just kept going for so long and Mm -hmm particularly with like the main female character there didn't seem to be enough character development like Mm -hmm. without getting too specific like initially her personality trait is that like she was the oldest so she's had to keep this family together despite the fact that their father is like a deadbeat alcoholic Mm -hmm. but she keeps making incredibly self-destructive choices and it'd be like every season the, the arc was the same like she was trying to get her act together, trying to get her act together, do good for the family, do good for the family. And then she'd make like some inexplicable, horrible choice and mm-hmm. have to recover from that. And like every single season, it'd be like, Jesus, Fiona. But yeah, I would recommend it. I would recommend the British version, too. They are both fun and in the initial seasons, pretty similar. Okay. Uh, and the initial seasons of the British version have James McAvoy. Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, do you think it was better when we were kids? I can't think of, I mean, we both mentioned books Mm -hmm. that we liked as kids that were mysteries. I don't remember a show like this and I would have loved to watch this when I was a kid. Agreed. The only, only thing I could think of was there was a very hard to find just because this was the day, the days before you could just find anything streaming or buy it on Amazon, Mm -hmm. um, there was a show that was based on the Encyclopedia Brown books. 
Ooh. But I only ever saw like a scattered few episodes because it's not like it was on at any time that I could watch it regularly or anything like Mm -hmm. that. And I so wanted more of that. And that was the only thing that I could think of. Okay. Would you watch this alone voluntarily? Yeah, I kind of want to know what happened to Eric and Kate. (laughs) I didn't even like this show, and I think I will. I want to find out what happens to the parents. (laughs) Um, Did you watch it with any of your kids? I did not. I did not. I'm not sure what they would think of it. Yeah. Should we do 10 seconds on whether it's good for them? Yeah, I think it would be fine except for I mean I think that that meathead stereotype is just as bad as um when like pretty blonde girls are depicted as dumb or easy in film and television so I didn't like that other than that though it's probably fine I would agree with that with the caveat that I did like that he was left with the domestic chores which I thought was Mm -hmm. a nice way of flipping the script And it Mm -hmm. wasn't, like, commented on in a big way, which I appreciated as a mom to boys. Mm -hmm. But definitely too complex for my kids right now. So we won't be uh, watching Hunter Street together. But I can't guarantee that I won't watch it alone. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're at the moment of truth. Ratings. I'm really curious to hear. Two and a half. Wow. You know, I'm going to go go whole hog and give it like a four and a half. I thought it was really great. Wow. <laughs> so you heard it here first, guys. We don't agree on everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook to continue the conversation. We're at facebook.com slash time 2 And you can also find out what we're covering in our next episode and reading about in Screen Time News if you want to watch and read along with us. You can tweet us with suggestions, recommendations, general comments at at myscreentime2. We have an email address. It's myscreentime2 at gmail.com. And our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children. And our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye.